Hi everyone, welcome to your San Diego News Fix. I'm Christy Totten. San Diego County has expanded the list of people who can get the COVID-19 vaccine, but once you're qualified, it's not always easy to find an appointment. We'll talk to reporter Jonathan Wozen for some tips. Then, health reporter Paul Sisson has covered the pandemic for over a year now. We'll talk to him about what he's learned about himself and our community. First, the news. The Biden administration is searching for new ways to stop migrants from coming to the southern border. That includes sending officials to Mexico and Guatemala, sending stronger warnings to migrants not to come, and creating new ways to apply for legal entry without appearing in person. The Los Angeles Times reports that the new strategies announced Monday are an attempt by President Joe Biden to slow illegal crossings, which have increased since he took office. The biggest challenge is how to deal with thousands of children taken into custody under a policy of not turning away unaccompanied minors. The California Public Utilities Commission has approved a plan by San Diego Gas and Electric to acquire more power this summer. The move is meant to avoid any repeats of last year's rolling blackouts. SDG&E turned in a request to buy 109 megawatts of extra capacity from Sentinel Energy Center, TransAlta Energy Marketing, and Calpine Energy Services. Last Thursday, the PUC's energy division gave SDG&E the green light to sign the agreements. With the convention center closing as a homeless shelter, unhoused people are now moving back into bridge shelters. They were moved to the convention center earlier in the coronavirus pandemic to give them more space and lessen the chance of transmission. With cases on the decrease, officials are taking a cautious turn towards normalcy, opening bridge shelters at reduced capacity. On Wednesday, 324 men who are in the Father Joe section of the convention center shelter are expected to be transferred to a bridge shelter on the ground floor of Golden Hall. California's COVID-19 vaccine guidance currently allows vaccines for the elderly, people who work in essential industries, and people over 16 who have certain pre-existing conditions. In San Diego County, even more people are eligible, including those who are overweight with a body mass index of over 25. But even after you qualify, it's hard to find a shot. Biotech reporter Jonathan Wozen wrote about how Twitter bots are helping people find vaccines. Jonathan, first of all, I want to be clear um, that we're not encouraging anyone who is not qualified under the county's rules to go and get a shot. It's just that when you are qualified, it can be difficult to find one. Um, You interviewed a couple people who run bots. Uh, Tell us about the bots. What do they do? Yeah, so these are automated Twitter accounts that will tweet out regular information about vaccine appointments, where in the county appointments are available, how many are available, what times they're available. And essentially the way they work is that they are programs, they're lines of code that do exactly what a whole lot of people are already doing, which is going on websites, scanning for updates, you know, desperately looking for information and then sharing that information or acting on it. So in this case, they are checking these various websites and each time something has changed, each time appointments open up or each time a site closes, each time something changes, that information gets tweeted out. Uh, so that, you know, that'd be a, a Twitter message. And, and so, like you mentioned, this is really only for people who are currently eligible. But the thing in San Diego is that there are so many different groups of people who are eligible because of their their weight, their health, their age, what they do for work. You know, we've heard at the federal level, 
uh, you know, from the president and also from the governor of California that come May, that potentially everybody in the state should be eligible. So, you know, these might be helpful resources for people in the weeks ahead. Yeah, the accounts you talked to are COVAX SD and COVID vaccine SD. Can you talk about the need for these bots to begin with? Yeah, it was interesting. So both the people I spoke with, uh, Andre Lee and Omar Darwish, who created each of those those bots, yeah, got the idea to do that from their own personal experience, trying to help family, trying to help parents or grandparents make vaccine appointments. These are both people who have software experience and know how to access websites pretty pretty easily. And you know they were having a hard time navigating these systems and realized, okay, there are probably you know, thousands, if not millions of people who are in the exact same position. And, you know, I'm not a programmer, but uh, definitely, you know, Omar, for example, was saying that, you know, once you learn how to create code that reads that particular site, it's, it's not particularly complicated to then build into the program, okay, check every five minutes, check every 10 minutes, and then, you know, send that message. So, so that's what they did. That's what both these sites do. So, at Kovacs SD tweets out information about sites that are run by Sharp Healthcare. So we have a superstation in Chula Vista, the superstation in in uh, the Grossmont Shopping Center in La Mesa. Those would be two of the sites that you can get updates on through that account. And then COVID Vaccine SD focuses on the MyTurn notification and scheduling website. So myturn.ca.gov, which eventually every site in San Diego is supposed to be switching to that system. And, and that's what Omar's bot looks at on a regular basis and gives updates on. Yeah, one of the confusing things I think about my turn is that if you go and input all of your information, it tells you you qualify, you go to a next page, which says input your location, and it says, you know, no appointments are available. But then you scroll down and there are you know, what are considered other options like Vons, like uh, super center sites. And so I, I, I've heard from a lot of people over the internet uh, this weekend on Twitter that just said, oh, there are no appointments. It's like, oh, you have to scroll down. I mean, it's, it's, it's not clear even in that way. So I guess my question is, I mean, do authorities know about this? Are people that are running these websites, is this something that people are working on streamlining or this is just the way it's going to be? Well, just a quick note, because you mentioned Vons. So yes, so the, the COVID vaccine SD Twitter bot, uh, it, it doesn't give updates on the local pharmacy sites because you can't actually schedule appointments directly through my turn on those sites is my understanding. You have to then jump to the Vons website or the Ralphs, Albertsons, whatever the case may be. So, you know, for that piece of things, you would still need to go through those various systems. But for the county run sites and the sites that the county is running with the health systems in town, uh, you can you know, get updates through uh, either one of those automated accounts. As far as my turn, that's a good question. The website's definitely changed a bit in terms of what information and what options they give you since when it was first put out there uh, roughly a couple of months ago. You know, one of the things that both Andre and Omar mentioned is that as these vaccine booking systems are making even slight changes and how they're putting information out there. So it could be something as small as, you know, a comma that they're adding or missing and the date that a vaccine site is going to be running. Uh, that actually 
creates errors or bugs in, in, in their code, in their bots. So they've been basically trying to keep track of the latest updates in my turn in, in Andre's case, code, uh, Calvax system that Sharp uses. Uh, but, but my sense is that my turn is definitely being updated, but it's not always clear where the, you know, who's making the call in, in terms of how to update that system. And, you know, we're still seeing various bugs, you know, Delmar, Delmar Fairground Superstation closed down for a few days because there is an issue with my turn booking appointments that there wasn't actually vaccine for. So I, I, I think we still are seeing some issues there, unfortunately. Do you have any other tips? Say you are qualified, you now want to go and try to book an appointment. Where would you start? So for me, I would actually start with a couple of these uh, bot accounts I just learned about because I happen to use Twitter pretty regularly as a journalist. And I like the idea of having a program that's already doing what I would otherwise be doing, which is checking websites again and again and again. And I know that eventually, you know, the vaccine sites in San Diego already have or soon will move on to my turn. So if I were doing it, I'd, I'd probably focus on COVID vaccine SD. You know, if I were an older San Diegan, 65 and up and didn't have a computer, was having a hard time using one, I might just call 211, which is taking calls in English as well as in Spanish. And what we're hearing from the county is that wait times have been decreasing significantly. So, you know, for people who are having a hard time with the online systems or aren't using social media, which certainly a lot of people are not, I might, I might do it that way. You wrote that officials are expecting a 10% bump in the number of doses they receive. What will that mean for people trying to get the shot? Will it get easier? Well, it might get 10% easier. So it's not going to be, you know, it's not, it's not twice as much vaccine. It's not half as much. It's a slight increase. And the county makes appointments available as vaccine comes in. So the fact that we're expecting about 99,000 doses means that, you know, there will be that many appointments, uh, you know, not, and, and this is for the region as a whole. It's not any one superstation that's going to get all that vaccine we're talking about hospitals that are vaccinating their own patients as well as helping the county vaccinate you know, the, the general public. We're talking about the new vaccine site that's opening today at the Viejas Arena, partnership with San Diego State University and the county. So it's all gonna be spread out diffusely, but you know, for sure, anytime there's a vaccine increase, that means that appointments will be available and, and, and they will go pretty quickly though, is the thing. So I think we're still at a point where vaccine supply even though it's stable and even though it's going up, it isn't keeping up with the fact that there are so many people that want vaccine right now. Is there any update on how often we'll need to get these vaccines? And by that time, is it expected it'll be more streamlined? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think the short answer is that, and, and part of the thing is to, to recognize that the pandemic's been, even though it feels like it's lasted a million years, we've been living through this for roughly one year. So by definition, we can't know until a certain amount of time has passed, whether a vaccine lasts for however long. Um, you know, from natural infection, people getting COVID and then recovering, it, it seems like those people are much less likely to be reinfected for at least six to eight, maybe nine months. And, you know, what I'm seeing bits and pieces of information is that 
likely that you know the vaccines would be uh, protective for for at least that period of time. But really, the first San Diegans didn't get their shots until mid December, so we're we're only three months into this process, so it's hard to say anything definitive here. Uh, but but the sense I'm getting is that we don't expect immunity to last forever. But even if it doesn't, you could potentially still get a much milder infection than you would have had you not been vaccinated. It's It seems to be relatively easy to come up with COVID vaccines. After all, it took us less than one year to do that. And, and companies are already beginning to tweak their vaccine designs to keep up with variants. So for example, I believe it was Moderna that had already modified its vaccine design against the South Africa variant and has sent some doses to the NIH to begin an initial clinical trial to look at that. So we probably will need to continue to get COVID vaccines in the future. The virus isn't going to completely go away. The disease won't completely go away. But there is good reason to think that companies can quickly pivot. And whether it's every year, or every couple of years, uh, that those vaccines could be pretty protective, especially in terms of keeping you at the hospital and keeping you from dying, which are the key things for society going forward. Jonathan Glosen is the biotech reporter at the UT. Jonathan, thank you. Anytime. Again, you can find those bots on Twitter at COVAXSD, that's C-O-V-A-X-S-D, and at COVID Vaccine SD. I also want to share some tips from our photo editor, Sam Hodgson. In addition to the bots, he recommends checking out a guide on Twitter by Heather Keel, that's K-E-I-L, that lists all the places you can find appointments. And he also recommends calling local pharmacies at the end of the day to see if they have leftover vaccines. Pharmacies usually recommend calling around 3.30 or 3.45 p.m. Now let's turn to opinion. Paul Sisson covers healthcare at the UT, and after covering the pandemic for more than a year, he shared his experiences in an opinion piece recently. So over the past year, you have reported in so many different situations, but what stands out to you as the most memorable? You know, I'd say the one moment actually happened, you know, back at last spring, I think it was in April, uh, we managed to finagle our way into uh, riding along with uh, UCSD's mobile ECMO team. Uh, if you don't know what ECMO is, that's uh, extracorporeal, extracorporeal membrane oxygenization. Uh, I'm sure I said that slightly wrong. The idea is that your lungs have failed so badly that uh, they're just not working anymore. And so we need to take all of your blood out of your body and run it through a machine outside your body that strips out the carbon dioxide and puts in some oxygen to keep you alive when your lungs have failed. Um, you know, this is a, a very serious intervention. They, they only do it to you if, if you're about to die. You have literally no other choice. Uh, the, the risk of blood clots and brain bleeding is very high. Uh, and so uh, UCSD uh, has a team that actually goes out and uh, retrieves patients from other hospitals that, that can't offer uh, this, uh, this service. It's a service that requires really a, a highly trained team of intensive care nurses and therapists. And, you know, there's a huge amount of rehab that's involved if you do survive being on this uh, ECMO machine. So we, uh, so we ended up uh, finagling our way and, you know, going out with this mobile team to Paradise Valley 
hospital on, on a Sunday night, you know, uh, kind of a rainy night and um, following them, you know, putting putting this this uh, patient who was in respiratory distress uh, on on this machine, you know, threading these long, what they call cannulas into their veins and you know, seeing the blood come out and go into this uh, this machine and then, you know, pushing them through the, the, the halls of the hospital and, and loading them on an ambulance and driving them back across town to Jacobs Medical Center and uh, at UCSD. And, you know, the, the scene that really, I've had a few dreams about this, honestly, just watching them. There was a moment, I guess, before they take these ECMO patients up to the ICU, they put them on a CT scanner just to get kind of a base level reading of what's going on inside their bodies, make sure the cantaloupes are incorrectly and, and various other things that I frankly don't understand because I'm not a doctor. Um, but, you know, they, they wheeled this guy in and rolled him up next to the CT. It's like a big uh, table that they have to load him onto. This guy just had, you know, EKG lines, probably a half dozen or a dozen different IV medications uh, going into the, his various limbs, plus these two really thick uh, tubes coming out that are carrying his entire blood supply continuously out his body and back in again. Uh, and so they, they managed to pick him up and lift him from the, from the paramedic gurney onto that CT sled and then, you know, do the scan. And it was just amazing. You know, you're just cringing because it took six or eight. I'm not exactly sure how many, but quite a few people to, to pick him up. And um, they had to do it without dislodging any of that stuff that was, you know, he's just a pincushion. And to just see them all kind of lunge forward to keep enough slack in those lines to keep them from pulling out all kind of in a unified moment was just breathtaking. I've never seen anything like it. And then they just turned around and, and did it again and put him on in a hospital bed to take him upstairs. And, you know, and, and none of them, none of the people, you know, there were, there were paramedics there, nurses, orderlies, like, uh, you know, they have a lift team, all kinds of different uh, healthcare professionals. Um, and, and it was just routine to them. They didn't seem to think it was a, a very big deal at all. And I think I personally would have passed out just, just with the responsibility of having to try to do that without injuring this, this poor patient. Uh, so, so yeah, I don't, I don't think, I don't think you'll see better teamwork on an NFL field than we saw that night. So, yeah, that's really stuck with me. Yeah, how intense and inspiring. I mean, how have you dealt with the trauma? You know, you, you've mentioned I'm not a doctor. Well, you've seen things this year, I think, that mostly you know, only doctors see that are trained to sort of, um, you know, process these things, whatever. Just how have you held up as a healthcare reporter in the past year? Yeah, I, you know, I think a lot of it is um, you put yourself in the shoes of the people you're there watching and you kind of come away thinking, man, I didn't have to stay there and, and finish the shift. <laughs> I got to go home and, uh, you know, um, certainly I'm taking certain precautions or whatever to avoid bringing it home, but, but I didn't necessarily have to go in that patient's room and, uh, and you know, put in a, a breathing tube or turn them over uh, in bed, uh, you know, in this process they call proning, where they're continually flipping these patients on ventilators from front to back and back to front. Uh, you know, I think when you see some of this stuff relatively up close, you start to feel like, geez, I've got it easy. Mm. <laughs> I, I think, I think I've always, you know, probably had a, a fair bit of perspective in that way. It's just kind of 
you know, I get to go back and, and sit at a desk and, and write a story and, uh, you know, and what have you and, and talk to interesting people like you. Uh, uh, while there are people in the trenches who are really uh, grinding it out, you know, they, they work 12 hour shifts and they, you know, during the, during the thickest part of this thing in December and January, a lot of them were, were coming in for extra shifts and banking each other up. And, you know, it's just hard to really take what I do all that seriously when I when I see what these folks are doing day in and day out. I think it just gives you a, a sense of perspective that's, uh, I think, relatively healthy in terms of, you know, yeah, you see some some relatively uh, jarring things, but, uh, but you also know that uh, you're not carrying the weight of that responsibility that these folks are carrying, where they are literally holding somebody's life in their hands. You know, you watch this perfusionist carrying this ECMO machine around the hallways, you know, cradling it like a baby. I mean, it's uh, it's just, uh, it gives you some perspective, I'd say. Uh, so I think that's how, how I deal with it. You know, and I've been doing this long enough now that, uh, I mean, I guess I've seen a, a few different things. I mean, I've been in heart transplants where they've got, you know, patients beating heart in one hand and the heart they just took out in the other hand, you know, and uh, for me, the, the ones that are really the ones that I maybe struggle with a little bit are the orthopedic procedures where they're using, you know, saws and things. It gets a little, a little Home Depot in there and that's, <laughs> that's a little hard to unhear. What have been your takeaways? You know, what are the biggest lessons that you learned this year about the world, about our community, about yourself as a reporter? Uh, just, you know, what are your takeaways? Mm. You know, I think we're more unified than we think we are. I think we find things to argue about. Um, but at our core, I think as a society, we are capable still of pulling together. Um, and even if we don't always agree on things like politics, I think um, you don't see a lot of politics in a situation where somebody can't breathe. You know, I think... Um, I think coming through this, I think we're going to find maybe we're a little more unified than we thought we were. Um, and I hope we can all kind of remember that, you know. Um, I think I think that's probably healthy for us as a society. Um, and I think, I think, you know, it's, I mean, you know, there has been, the problem with, with this whole situation, you know, we've had a lot of people who are saying, you know, over time that this isn't real, that this is made up. And I think part of the reason that is, is because there has been no visitation in hospitals. Uh, people's families haven't been able to come in and, and hold their loved one's hand uh, through this whole horrible ordeal. Um, and so it's made it a little invisible, a little more invisible than maybe it should have been. And, you know, I've been able to get into some of these facilities, but it hasn't been easy. Um, and it's taken a fair amount of um, relationship with people that I've been working with for many years. Um, but I think next time around, hopefully there won't be a next time around, but, but in another situation like this, I hope they can find a way to make it a little more visible to the general public. Uh, just what this looks like up close, because... I think especially early on, you know, maybe in the spring, and, you know, and even through this, through, even, you know, all the way through, uh, you know, it, it was just a little invisible sometimes. Uh, and I, I think, um, you know, shining a light in and showing people what it looks like goes a long way. 
Paul, thank you so much for sharing your story. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You can find Paul and Jonathan's stories online at SanDiegoUnionTribune.com. I'm your host, Christy Totten. Thanks for listening.